Good morning, Restoration. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, please pray with me and then we'll dive into our passage. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you. Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to us today. Form us and shape us to become more like you. It's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. So a lot of you know one of our dear members at our church, Jill Swanson, who's one of our founding members as well. Uh, and Jill shared this fun story with me that I wanted to share with you. So Jill has this uh, huge section of her land that is, uh, has been very overgrown by a lot of invasive species. And uh, it just sounds like it's, it's has become a bit of a, an eyesore, <laughs> or frustration at least, uh, to her. And she found out about this grant recently uh, and was actually awarded a grant uh, that is going to give her um, the means to be able to clear out all of these invasive species and restore it back to its original glory. You know, so that she's going to be able to bring in a lot of the original uh, trees and, and shrubs and wildflowers. Uh, and it just sounds like a really cool restorative project. Uh, and in fact, she's going to be inviting a lot of friends and families and community members, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it when the opportunity comes, uh, to come and get involved. There's going to be some education that goes along with this, uh, just kind of sharing um, ways to be environmentally, um, to, to be good environmental stewards and to help out with these kind of beautification projects and things like that. And um, I'm just really excited to learn more about this. So put a pin in that. We're actually going to return to that uh, here in a second. So right now we are in uh, preaching a series that we're calling the hope for or the hope and the dispersion, and we're working through uh, the epistle of First Peter. This is Peter's letter to a group of dispersed or, or fractured or separated believers out on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, and this is a rather difficult book. Uh, it's got a lot of difficult themes that it goes through. Uh, Peter discusses ways in which we should or ways in which we can be enduring suffering the way in which we uh, overcome conflict and how we can persevere in the faith. In fact, last week we looked at uh, Peter's difficult passage about what it means to be a Christian uh, who, who needs to be submitting to human institutions and what that looks like, even, ways, or even institutions that are sometimes unjust, that are over us. Well, today Peter makes another bold claim. Uh, he says to this dispersed community, this, this splintered group of people, he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood, he says. Now, that would have been shocking for this people to hear. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, this was a novel thing for them to hear. N.T. Wright, as he's reflecting on this passage, he says, you know, we hear that, that phrase, royal priesthood, this day and age, and we think it's a bit of a charming statement. You know, we hear the word royal, and we're like, oh, that's cool, like, I like palaces, you know, I would love to be royal, that sounds great. You know, we hear the word the priest, and we're like, ah, oh, cool, like, I like holy stuff, and, you know, blessing people, and things like that, like, that sounds great, you know? But the reality is, is like, this isn't necessarily a charming statement. No, in fact, the priesthood um, is, is often um, a difficult work. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, the priests, when we look all throughout the scriptures, God has set aside his priests, both the Levitical priests uh, to the nation of Israel, but also broadly speaking, uh, uh, God refers to the nation of Israel as a nation of priests to the world. Uh, and when we look at this concept of priest, the priest is supposed to be a bridge, a bridge between heaven and earth, between the church and the world, Right. And what the priest is supposed to be, what the nation of priests, what Israel is supposed to be, and now what we, the church, are supposed to be, is we are supposed to call forth life and order to the world around us. 
We are called to use our wisdom and creativity and beauty in ways that bring out the richness of creation, that restore creation to its original purposes. So you can see, right, how I think that that story that I told earlier of, of Jill and, and on her land, like what a great living parable of what we as, as the priesthood of all believers are supposed to be doing to the world around us, right? Like we're supposed to protect the world. We're supposed to be uh, causing the world to flourish. And even more than that, we're supposed to be telling the stories of, of God's marvelous deeds, to be reminding the world, God loves you, and he wants to bring you back into his household. He wants to, to redeem you. He wants to honor you and protect you. So another thing that causes us to realize that uh, this isn't necessarily a charming statement is when we look at, at, at our great high priest, Jesus Christ himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And when we look at him and we look at his life, we realize that to be a part of his royal priesthood is not a charming endeavor at all. So today, what I want to focus on is actually the people of the priesthood. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about uh, the ordained priesthood as understood by sacramental traditions. No, I'm talking about the royal priesthood of all believers. So in this sermon, when I talk about the priest, I'm, I'm talking about you and I. Uh, I'm talking about all of those who've been baptized into the church as the priesthood of all believers. So the people of the priesthood. So let's look at uh, let's let's look at the first verse of this passage. Uh, so First Peter chapter two. If you've got your Bibles, open it up to that, uh, starting at, at verse four. So it's, uh, Peter writes this. He says, "As as you come to Him, that is, as, as you come to Jesus Christ, Jesus is that living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Well, you yourselves are like living stones." being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I know it would be really exciting and tempting to kind of jump to uh, what it means uh, for us to be a part of this priesthood, but I actually want to rewind a little bit. And I want to talk about the importance of what it means that Jesus Christ, our high priest, is that cornerstone. Uh, the cornerstone who was rejected. In fact, First Peter, or Peter, uh, if we were to uh, jump forward a few verses, he quotes Psalm 118 uh, to describe the ministry of Jesus. He says that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. So, Several months ago, I was hanging out with another one of our members at our church, Bill Blansky. Uh, and Bill is an architect at our church, and it's really fun just to um, look at different buildings with him and, and talk about the, the ways in which the architecture uh, communicates certain things about the values of that organization and, and how the space itself is used. Um, really fun uh, conversations. Well, a couple months ago, we were walking through this church, uh, and the church itself was, was pretty dark. Like, the, the wood was dark. Um, I mean, it was a beautiful space, but it was just very dark. And at the front of this church was the altar. And the altar was made of this bright marble. And even though there weren't a lot of lights on there, it seemed as if that, the whiteness of that marble was just glowing. It was really cool, very impressive. And you could just see the gray veins uh, creating these neat patterns uh, on this, this elegant piece of, of stone. And this marble altar conveyed just a, a huge sense of beauty and reverence and strength. And as we got closer to it, Bill kind of looked at it and he goes, Oh, I know this. I know this marble. And then he said the, the specific kind of marble that that is. 
And not just that, he also said the quarry that it came from. And I totally thought he was joking. You know, I laughed and I said, Bill, what are you talking about? I was like, are you sure? Like, you know exactly where that qu the quarry is that that marble came from? And he's like, well, of course I do. Like, I've, I've been there before. You know, it just struck me in that moment that builders are absolutely obsessive about the materials that they use. Builders study materials. They have a very intimate knowledge of what materials are good and what are bad. You know, what should be used and what shouldn't be used and what sort of situation would be best uh, for the different materials that they encounter. Well, Peter, by quoting Psalm 118, is referring to the religious leaders of that day, the religious leaders who rejected Jesus. He refers to them as builders. You know, the builders, those religious leaders, they were the experts of the day. Specifically, they were experts looking for the Messiah. They were looking for this religious leader, this, this, this warlike leader, who would come and eradicate the Romans from their land. And so they would study the scriptures, trying to see if they could guess and figure out who the Messiah is going to be. You know, what's he going to talk about? What's he going to do? Where's he going to come from? And so they were experts uh, at discovering who the Messiah is. But then in the great irony, he came. And, they, and the religious leaders, those builders, you know, they heard the rumors of the Messiah. They heard rumors that it was Jesus. And so they gathered him and they, they, pulled, they brought him to them and they examined him. And these religious leaders, they turned Jesus over in their hands. They sifted him. They tested him. They mocked him. They beat him. And then eventually they discarded him. They rejected him. But God's ways are not man's ways. God does not look at the same things that the builders look at. No, Jesus, or God had chosen Jesus before the foundations of the world. So why am I hitting on this? Why am I bringing this up? Well, because Peter, he is also writing this letter to rejects. They know exactly what this is like. Peter is writing to a community of slaves and servants and untouchables. He's writing to a community of women. He's writing to people who had no position of authority or influence in that society. But God chose them. God looks at what has been broken. God looks at the seemingly weak. God looks at the backwards, at the powerless, at those who have no influence. He looks at the sick. He looks at the outcast. And he chooses it. He chooses you. He chooses me. He chooses us. And do you see what he calls us? He says that we are precious, that we are holy, that we are beloved. In the same way that God chooses Jesus and, and, and those um, rejected servants back in the day, he chooses us. This is our story as well. And some of you know this in very particular, specific ways. You know exactly what it's like to be rejected. In fact, you can, it doesn't take you long to rewind your memory to even think about a time in which you've been rejected. Many of you have lost your job. You have, called in, you have been called into the office of an expert, someone who is an expert builder, and they have sifted you, they looked you over, they read through your resume, and they said, it's time to reject you. You don't belong here. Pack your bags. And some of you know what it feels like to be rejected by society itself. Maybe through a sickness that you're carrying, 
or because you're, you've been deemed to be a part of an at-risk category, so you've been told to, to separate yourself, to stay away from everybody else, and you feel as if you yourself have been forgotten and rejected. But friends, God sees you, and he has not forgotten about you. He has chosen you. He is choosing you now, and he will continue to choose you. In fact, that's what happened at your baptism. That's what baptism means. Baptism is this moment in which God picks you up and he says, you are mine. You belong to me. I have paid a high price for you. And then in that moment at baptism, that's also when the church looks to you and opens her arms and says, welcome, sister. Welcome, brother. Look, we have a spot for you here at the table. Come and join us. And then like kings and, 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 and prophets of old, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit and commissioned for a purpose. You see, friends, we are the people of the priesthood. And Christ is our cornerstone and we follow after him. And we are like living stones. And together we are building a place for God himself to dwell, for his presence to be with us. So that when the world looks at us, they see through us, and they see the, the presence of God himself, the glory of God shining and radiating through us, reflecting off of us to the world around us. Praise the Lord. So several weeks ago, when all of this um, COVID stuff was blowing up, um, our bishop preached a message, and he gave a pretty powerful call. Uh, he gave a charge to us, a challenge to us, uh, to write these things called neighbor notes and to distribute them around our neighborhood. And on these notes, they're very, very simple. In fact, we've got a copy of it uh, on our website that you can go and check out and just uh, click the care button on our website uh, just as a template. But these neighbor notes, uh, they just say, you know, it's very, very simple. It just says, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm here. I'm present. Um, I'm praying for you, uh, and if you want to talk, here's, here's my phone number. Um, so it's really, really simple. That's it. Well, the Van Leuvens, and I did ask for their permission uh, to share this story, um, the Van Leuvens distributed a ton of these neighbor notes around their block, um, and they have some interesting stories from this. Um, but my favorite story from their experience is from this one guy who called them up and said, I would love to talk with you. And so what Aaron did is he, he, at the front of his yard, he set up these two chairs, uh, socially distanced, very responsible, uh, set these chairs about, you know, six feet apart or whatever. And he said, hey, uh, I'll be in front of my house at this time. Feel free to come over and, and let's talk. And so they've been chatting. They've been having these conversations. You know, this man has been sharing his anxieties, his fears, his frustrations with what's going on in the world. And Aaron has been a priest to him. He's simply been listening to him hearing his concerns. You know, and as a Christian saying like, I would love to pray about this uh, with you. You know, and so he's been receiving the concerns of this person, lifting them up to the Lord. You know, and this man, he's been, continued to come again and again. And this story is not over. I mean, I, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but I would just love if when we're able to regather again as a church, uh, that this person would be able to join us for worship as well and come and, and sit at the table with us. You know, what a beautiful present, or what a beautiful statement that story is of God's presence in a broken world. Because, friends, our world is extremely broken. 
And we are in constant reminders of God's presence, that God is with us, that even though we live in a broken and splintered and dispersed and hurting world, God still dwells with us. You know, I turn on the news and I'm just devastated by what I see there, day after day. I know you all are too. You know, we turn on the news and we see the story of, of racial violence, you know, uh, the story of the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. You know, you, you hear that story and you're like, I thought we were done with this. Like, I thought that these challenges were behind us. I thought the last time that someone would be chased down in broad daylight like this was behind us. But it's not. It's not. This happens again and again and again. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking, right? It's absolutely heartbreaking. So I wonder, you know, how can you, as a priest of God, as a part of the royal priesthood, you know, how can you stand for racial reconciliation in the circles that God has placed you, you know, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace? You know, I also turn on the news and I see these stories of anxiety and fear and the way that it's just crippling people. It's that people are being buried stone after st under stone after stone. You know, they can't even move anymore, that they're so um, just riddled with, with panic and fear. It's just so overwhelming these days. And I feel it myself. I'm not immune to this. You know, if I um, scroll through the news long enough, I just, I just get so um, frazzled and terrified, you know, and I have to immediately go to, before the Lord and say, God, just relieve me of this. So how can you be the embodiment of the peace of God to an anxious world? What sort of ways can you be lifting up the fears and the anxieties before the Lord and say, here, take this, not just your own, but also of, of those who God has placed around you and put in your care? And it also seems like just even within the last couple of weeks or so, frustration and irritability have just gone through the roof. Like, I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, but I just feel like I'm, I'm way more agitated, you know? Like, I just want this to stop, and I feel like I'm, I'm shorter with my family, um, and, I, and I sense that amongst others, too. So how can we, as the royal priesthood of God's people, how can we embody friendship to one another in a way that calms our irritable nerves? Like, how can we be God's presence to a frustrated world? Because here's the thing, the world needs our embodied presence of God, Right? And I know this sounds audacious. I know this sounds absolutely incredible. But friends, you are the icon of God to those around you. He has chosen you. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit to be his representative to the world around you. He's giving you gifts of peace and of comfort and of reconciliation so that you might bring those to the world around you. I know that's absolutely crazy to say. But if you have a high view of the priesthood of all believers then you have a high view of God and he will meet you in that. He will move through that. Your imagination will be filled with ways to reflect his glory to the world around you. And our world so desperately needs it. So friends, I pray that this week, uh, as you dwell on this passage and as you read through the scriptures, that you would be moved and stirred to be the embodiment of Christ to the people around you. May you be a physical reminder that God has not forgotten about this world. May you speak words of hope and healing and reconciliation to the world around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.